So it is July the 2nd, and this is Michael Craver with Escaping Vanity. It's a pleasure to have anybody paying attention and spending their time on me. So I tried to put together a few things today to to talk about um, awareness. And uh, sometimes we get sidetracked, and that's the name of two articles that I plan on using in today's time. Uh, this is my first endeavor of trying to really spend some money and, and put together uh, worthwhile audio and, and you know, production and forethought are something everybody should should do in their life, right? The word production meaning that you're thinking ahead, you're planning ahead, maybe think about what you're going to say, <laughs> have some patience because that is one of the greatest things that you can do for anybody is to have some patience. Um, Allow them the courtesy. And patience goes hand in hand with something else that uh, I've basically uh, adopted in the last probably eight or nine weeks where we've all gotten sort of up in arms, different groups at one another. And my solution was that you should open the door for one another. Sit. Look over your shoulder. See if anybody's coming behind you. Open the door. Metaphorically, that means a heck of a lot of things. It means the choices that you make are going to affect the youth, and they're going to have some sort of enhancement or consequences to the environment and the planet, the town, the community, everything around you. And when you're opening the door and you're looking at who's coming after you, maybe your conscience of uh, the sort of things that you're going to be doing, what you choose to do, what it may or may not do for somebody else. Of course, it's, uh, in my view anyway, it's better to always enhance someone else's life. I'm constantly telling people that I'm working with, hey, why don't you smile? They can hear it on the phone when you smile. Well, they can't see me. No, they can hear it on the phone when you smile. And that's part of the gig. It's in an experience you know where i've worked in restaurants for such a long time my little symbolism or the practice of opening the door is much like what corporate america had to do many years ago with open door policies where you can come and you can just tell your story and it's present all over the place now social media people are speaking out you have different uh, hashtags and causes movements and it's important in, in your life, to be able to tell your story, uh, what maybe is more important and the greatest factor in that experience for you <laughs> is anybody listening. And that's something that I'm going to have to face here, you know, as I record a podcast and try to see whether anybody's, <laughs> anybody's listening. And I appreciate more than anything a lot of the feedback. I've had, you know, hundreds of people who followed me through my writing on Facebook with different videos. And I've tried to discuss worthwhile things that not only will be worth people's time, but maybe it will introduce questions that they can ask of themselves, of other people, and we can all sort of hold each other uh, up and to look at each other as people who are accountable for what we do. Are you opening the door for people? Did you ignore the person? <laughs> hey, that guy's carrying a lot of boxes. But I really need to get to my car. <laughs> Hell with him. And I just, I, I can't think that way. I haven't thought that way for a long time. The open door policy also being something that the community I grew up in, people didn't lock their doors. There were open doors. 
they weren't ajar, as you might say. They weren't, you know, they were closed doors because they have handles and you don't want to let the air conditioning out or, you know, let the dogs in or whatever other mosquitoes and unpleasantries that they could disrupt your home. Right? But it's not locked. If a neighbor needed to get into the house, guess what? They could do it. You know, some of you got home without your keys. Didn't matter. Didn't need your keys. Those were for emergencies or for some unfortunate circumstances where you got locked out. I can remember I went to see my father. It's probably been three or four years now. And he and I were talking something about Barry in the truck. He had a work truck. It's my grandfather's the last car he ever had. Bought a brand new 1988. It's an old Dodge Ram. And... I went to, to move something, I believe, and said to, to Dad, you know, the keys are in the truck. And he said, oh, yeah, they're in the truck. No, he said, they're in the shop. Your brother locked the truck. <laughs> I remember the, just the way that he said it. He was like, he locked the truck. You believe that? <laughs> I thought to myself, what kind of world are we living in where a man dresses up as a bat? Listen. I love humor. I love putting a smile on people's faces. I love to, you know, sharing and creating, quite frankly, inside um, jokes and, and just these little things that between each other, we build this not only rapport, but it's almost like we're keeping each other's secrets. And the more people that, that know it or we let in on it, the more people that are speaking our language, right? And everybody loves uh, that you can go to school and get graded on and be told that oh, you don't understand prepositions and let's put some red ink here and there. But as we get older, it's one of those cool things, right? You are talking to people, you hear words that you're... What are they referring to over there? And then you're in. You figure it out. You try to... Learn the dialect. You got all the verbiage. Now you're one of them. You, you speak the, the local language. And to me, um, that's those people who are willing to accept you. They're, they're opening the door for you, aren't they? I mean, you go and you want to move somewhere. You want to take part in a community. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people on social media and they say, well, I moved here from so-and-so. Do you guys have a program for this? Where can I find that? You know, you guys might uh, think about making this change. And quite frankly, a lot of us are happy with the world being green and cool and, you know, the rain coming in moderate amounts as opposed to us manufacturing a great deal of plastic and, and doing all kinds of things that will heat up the planet, produce a lot of carbon footprint, and make it more difficult, quite frankly, in the future for it to ever cool down and for anybody to ever be really comfortable uh, with what's in the air and the water. However, because we like shiny things and we like to go run and think we're getting a bargain, it's really easy to go somewhere and to load up your shopping bag and go somewhere else with it. You come home, look at all this cool stuff. Look what I got. I have new things. And I think that's part of when you go to a new town. You want to be somebody who makes an impression. You have a president who wanted to build a wall. He wants to perhaps put his name on some different legislation, throw out the old health care. It's one of those things. You may think he is just running rampant. 
And there's another side that you should look and you should say, hey, this guy is full of vanity. He wants his name on things. He licensed his name to be on the different towers around the world and places, plazas and hotels and golf courses. That's what he's doing. He's putting his name out there. He just wants to be part of things. And the more things he can sign and the more little things that you might be able to see from space, like a wall across the border, that's what he's going to do. Because that means he's in you know, every article of Every newspaper, every little section, right? This about business, this about health, this about sports. Because when you're doing mandates and orders and resurrecting things, or maybe you're building new things, uh, you are going to be somebody who gets talked about. That's all he's doing. All he's doing. Is he doing it in a very malicious way? It's to be determined by you as an individual. But uh, I'm trying to look at it and, and maybe give you a different perspective uh, to say that he's a man who is trying not – he's trying not trying to open doors, is he? He's trying to close the border. He's limiting work visas. He's holding people here. He's putting up a wall. <laughs> he's not a big open-door guy. So would we be at odds? You would think so. Uh, I'd pretty much stay out of politics. But if – you're giving feedback and you're looking at things, it's always good to have different ways to look at it. Because maybe it'll take some of the stress and confusion out of your life if you have those other ways to look at it. That's what I'm hoping for. We all come from different places. We've got different stories. We have different things that we may think that we are going to be responsible for in our life. Hey, I'd love to buy a home, but I come from this town and the property value is this. And it's, you can't get education and come back. There's no jobs here. And that's happened uh, to many, many, many communities of all sorts of diverse uh, census uh, demographics across the nation. Some because, you know, you lived in a town in West Virginia, right? And you worked in the coal mines, you worked hard your whole life, you got that, you know, coal miner's lung, and you're, you know, up there in West Virginia where a general store belongs to the company. And things cost in a certain price structure so that you can never afford to save money. To leave that job. And they got you. They got you. And that's happened to other people across the span of time where they've made them, you know, either forced labor or sharecroppers. And it's it seems like they have some sort of ability at some point that they could actually leave. No. No, it's built that way. Uh, Walmart, for instance, is a company where they've done a lot of studies because the people who work there also spend a great deal of their income there. So they're really they're paying you, but you're going to put it right back in the register to leave with their groceries and goods. It's uh, an excellent little vicious cycle for them to, to put people into. Um, you can argue that they're providing something of a service for those folks. However, as I've said about the minimum wage and that kind of thing for a long, long time, the minimum wage is for minimum skills. It's an introductory job. It is not designed for you to have real adult responsibility of raising children and paying off mortgages and really being able to set up what you would consider an independent life. Those are minimal jobs at minimum wages, and that's what they're designed to do. And the economy does not support, uh, you know, if you took the property value, for instance, of your 800 square foot house and said this is just as good my property should be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars just like that house and they said no you can't do it like that because you have to have an escalation in the capitalist market the society that we live in 
inequality is the goal. You work harder than the next person, and you have more to show for it. Who wants to work just as hard and make not as much money or not more money? Why would you be working hard? What would you be motivation? The, the fuel wouldn't be there. And in your mind, it doesn't click that way uh, sometimes. You get blinded by the, the light. You know, you're, you're sitting, rolling your wheels. Wow, oh, man, this is just as good as that. And you try to figure out why the system puts the different values in the different categories. What are the criterias? What are the characteristics? If you are going to be proud of your children, what do they need to accomplish? What do they need to do? Okay, they have those criteria. They should have your approval. You should be a happy parent. In other situations, there are disappointments in relationships, uh, personal, professional, and you're going to look at folks, and, and they're not going to hold the same value that maybe you estimated them to have. Uh, maybe they need to have a reassessment, or they need to be renovated and flipped <laughs> like a house and put them on the next person if, if, if your relationship's going bad. But when you have... Uh, so many things going in your life where it opens all these doors where you have uh, the, the chance in your community to save money, to get education, to improve um, the social systems around you. Maybe you've got enough income that you can put back into the tithes for the church. You're going to donate money to the school. You're going to help out with a fundraiser of some kind. It's wonderful to be able to do that and because it helps to stimulate the people around you. The same as that guy doesn't want to have to put those boxes down and open that door. Open the door for the next guy. You're doing well enough. You're ahead of the next person. Open the door for them. It's a very simple concept. I talk about a lot of things. I go in a lot of different directions, but they are intermingled. And I hope that folks grab even a few pieces of those, put them together and look at it and say, you know, I could see where point A connects to B, C, D, right? It's a puzzle, and it's slowly coming together. The pieces are all there. I try to paint a good picture, but the way that I write is to put my blueprint on the table. Here's my principles. Here's the structure behind it. And then I'd like for you to think not only is this a house on paper, a blueprint of something that's going to be you know, a great idea, great structure. Okay, what's it going to look like decorated and in functioning and people coming and going and the weather's around it? And what would it look like in a painting or a video, right? That's the kind of thing I'm, I'm hoping for is to be able to talk to you about, you know, hey, open the door for somebody. Don't get sidetracked. It is important to take time when you're driving to focus on the number one thing. Steer the car. Pay attention to the road. Put your car right there in slot number one. The only priority you have. The safety of everybody inside. Why does it take you longer to get places? Well, there's more cars on the road. Now, well, are people slowing down and distracted by these, these digital displays that we're carrying around? Of course they are. Put your phone down at the stoplight when you get a chance. Maybe you need to pick it up, make an emergency call. Maybe you need to let somebody know you're running late. If you're not... You know, those, those few seconds of reaction time everywhere on the road, they're not opening the door for the people behind you because those accidents are the things that back up traffic for hundreds of yards, miles. They delay. They put a lot of extra pollution into the air because guess what? You're sitting there and you're just burning fuel 
idle in your car, waiting on emergency vehicles to come and tow and pull this, and somebody's got to repair that if good circumstances turn out. Sometimes you, you lose lives in those situations. It's a reckless thing to be doing that. Many of us that grew up in my generation, right, we were driving before we ever had phones, so we had a great deal of experience, and then this. Today, it's it's a new world. And I don't look at the opportunity to open the door for somebody else as a bad thing or something that consumes my responsibility. It takes precedent over something else that I need to be doing. To help. Man, I could be helping this other person. Where, who do I choose to help? Right? You're a Coast Guard swimmer. Three people are drowning. Who do you save? Well, I can tell you that it, it doesn't take away from me to open the door for anybody else because it's its own reward. People say thank you. I've found that just waving to people and saying hello goes a long way. I get a very, very high response rate. It feels much better than everybody that you're giving them the eye or maybe you put your head down. You're just looking at your phone. Pretend you're on the uh, call with somebody and you're walking by. No, 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 no. It's very nice. You never know when you're going to see any of those people if again. But now, you know, more than ever, look out for each other. Let me read about this sidetracked piece that I've got. I wrote this um, a little while ago. I believe it was on April the 25th is when I put it up. So it's it's got some age to it now. I was writing this uh, because there are folks who debate a lot of things on social media. Most things that I write come from discussions that I see. And it's almost like here's something that I can discuss and avoid maybe that I can feel or some questions I can ask that you will appreciate. And so, uh, with that being said, here is sidetracked, and it comes from some folks who wanted to throw a lot of labels around about who, I think it's from the coronavirus. Is it the Chinese this, Asian that, whatever. What's wrong? Why can't you call people this? I said, here, let me give you some things to think about. Things like race are an invisible crutch for feelings, manipulated ineffectively when folks don't have any argument to make, much like trying to attack the credibility of a person presenting fact. The credibility part is about what you believe. It doesn't change the facts. Race in its entirety, it's the human species. The word is a classification for an entire species. Now, there are variations breaking this down inside of a species, like strains of a virus. Well, that's not true for people. This is why biologists and scientists don't ever separate people based on this pseudo-classification of races existing between our species. That idea is inaccurate, and it's just made up. Exaggerated things inevitably find their way into the dictionary, and when they are passed around enough to be recognized, they become the extra definitions, right? Number two, number three. Take, for instance, Pangaea, the original continent. Geographically, everything begins there. How can you only be the continent named as today? Okay, so there's continental drift. And this skewed logic is applied to, let's say, the natives of North America. 
those folks crossed the Bering Sea from Asia. And then we called them Indians, but they're really Pangeans. We all are. Folks that are born in the Sudetenland during the Germanic occupation of World War II are, are Dutch. Well, are they Dutch? Germany just took over that stuff. See, that's if you're trying to nationalize people. India isn't a continent. So why is anyone called Indian? The indigenous people of India and its territories today are in Asia. They always were. Why aren't the American counterparts considered Asian Americans? We call them Indians, but they're from Russia, which is part Asian, part Europe. You don't see people from Libya and Egypt crying the blues about how they are African American. Yet, they are from the continent of Africa. Isn't this so strange? This is like the online support of people standing with. I stand with the people of. With, as in you stand here and they stand there. Only they occupy their seat in life's concert. See, these are inconvenient attempts at shame or some illogical argument to geography without any real consistency. The idea works if you're born here, but you look a certain way. So why is that guy over there not an African-American when his ancestors built the Sphinx and the pyramids? Being Egyptian is somehow excluded to another name, though he's from the same continent of Africa. Speaking of, back to continents, Pangaea, which nullifies continental drift and all of that nonsense that goes along with segregating people. You go back to the original continent, we're all one people, we're all one species. Okay. If you're not able to comprehend that race is an entire species of people, or that everyone comes from the same continent, then you are the one dividing people. Is anyone trying to give Texas back? It's just the idea that English people took the country from Asians. Oh, they were Indians. Well, those settlers eventually fought one another north against the south. And those Confederate people are just outrageous talking about their heritage. You see, this doesn't even apply to the southwestern conquered lands. Before all of these various conflicts ended, a lot of ugly things were done from all sides. And we took a great deal of territory from Mexico, and that's Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona, and California. Took Louisiana. Um, Classifying human beings into strange ways against science is anti-progress, much like attaching yourself to some selective piece of moving land masses, where you pick and choose your history and forget there's a bigger idea that you don't want to be part of. That's anti-species, which is far from discriminating... That singling yourself out and well I guess you have attention issues you see Malcolm X said it's freedom for everybody or nobody and others shouldn't know your history better than you those who are too cool for school will sweat it out when exposed to the light which is it's just an old uh, adage from being put under the lights and sweat it out as a detective. Now my my piece about sidetrack there is is very simple. You know, it, the original supercontinent is Pangaea and then over the last, you know, hundreds of thousands of billions of years, we have moved 
people, the evolution of species, uh, have changed from being one continent of Pangaea to, to having Africa and Asia and Europe and North and South America. Okay, so are we all one people? Are we all one species? We should be. Should be. Arguing about people that are settled in the dust? There's an old uh, quote um, from, is it Robert Anton Phillips? Uh, that I heard from George Carlin, who was quoting him, saying that all the borders of Europe are just places where two groups of bandits got tired of fighting and drew lines in the sand. I think it's important to know that <laughs> what's what it says on a map about where things begin and end, it doesn't mean that we're not all on the same team. If you worked in a store and you were working in different departments, you wouldn't be at war with the other departments. Hopefully not. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, the movie Office Space makes a lot of fun of this. So do a lot of other things like uh, Greg Daniels you know, wrote The Office with uh, Dwight and Michael Scott. and Everybody, everybody knows the, the Office. But the idea that we're not one group working together for a common goal is ridiculousness. I mean, we may have different ideas about what the best things to do are or what our responsibilities are. And we can clash heads and we can try to settle that out. And I guess as primitive animalistic people, we may try to sit down and, you know, negotiate. Negotiation beats war is something I heard from Jordan Peterson. It's a wonderful quote. I also think that... Uh, you know, there's going to be a, a time that's going to come when a clash of ideas. People just can't live with the decision. And that's where the uh, unorthodox side comes out. And there's got to be, you know, they must settle it with conflict. We can't live with just talking about it. And what a shame that is. But at the end of the day, uh, I hope that uh, a lot of us can sort of look at each other and figure out where you want to be. Uh, from where you are and open doors for talking for telling things that you're hey maybe this should change but why am i feeling this way maybe have an open door discussion because you're uncomfortable but you're just confused and they try to explain to you that you're just a human being and this is the way things are operating uh, can you you know move along and get along or can you be one of us Right? There's self-sacrifice, there's tolerance, because having the patience to try something someone else's way is really important. Um, that's part of what is written in my awareness uh, piece that I'm going to read next. And it's very important to me to be able to, like when I go to a, a new job or go to an interview or anything else, I'm talking people's ears off. I want to know how they're doing it, why they're doing it, what they're doing. How do they feel about it? A lot of times they're asking me. We're, we're exchanging experiences. Maybe I got it better than them. Maybe they got it better than me. Because we're both trying to, to meet at that table and build you know, some sort of understanding as to what the odds are, right? What are our risks and what, are our, what do we look at as being our potential gain? You're interviewing me to come into your place. Yeah, I've got a lot of experience, a lot of stories. I've never missed a day of work. Wonderful. However... What are you offering me? Because I'm in a pretty good place where, like, I get to – I work in restaurants. I have forever, right? And when I get up and I go pressure wash 
the driveway and mow the yard and do all this stuff in the sun that I'm sweating and exerting so many calories to do. When I dress up in nice slacks and a button-down shirt and go into the restaurant at night, I'm not burning as many calories. It is not nearly as stressful. The environment is (laughs) climate-controlled. What would I ever have to complain about? What have I ever complained about? They give me a few dollars to pay, you know, the minimal, the what I would call talking, the performance fee of two dollars and thirteen cents an hour, and then I am rewarded based on the quality of my performance, much like a street performer is, and I'm okay with that. It's been very important to me uh, to be a guy who people, you know, I get treated fairly. I've been tried to, you know be pushed in a lot of different directions as, as far as sales or doing things where I could basically have, you know, an income where the sky is the limit. I have that now, more or less. I mean, there's a reasonable amount of people that are going to leave a reasonable amount of money. It would have to be a strange set of circumstances to take home extraordinary income. That's why, you know, I'm using the word extraordinary. However... I think going into sales and pushing things and sort of using the power of trust that I have been blessed with, uh, or at least the ability uh, to to talk people into very sensible and logical things, is something I don't want to uh, get into the practice of abusing or using selfishly. And so I've never even entertained the idea that I would go out and push things on people. I hope you're not either. That's – you know, I write – stuff and I put it up for free and that's what I call escaping vanity. I'm <laughs> I'm putting things out there for you to look at and pay attention to to escape vanity. I'm asking for attention for my for my vanity problem, right? Hypocritical much? Yeah, you you got it. Um but uh, I've also been encouraged in a lot of uh, different places to to go do stand up performing or speaking or a lot of comedy. And because of those uh, encouragements and inquiries, I've sat down with myself and said, you know what? I'm going, I've got my writing. Writing leads to speaking, hopefully, you know, or at least, you know, if you ever get published or you're going to do appearances or be interviewed about your work and speaking, right? And those discussions can lead to more things you want to write, which leads to more discussions. And it's a, I think that's a beautiful intellectual cycle to be in. However, I do go out and work the uh, the grind, as I would say, uh, which is probably a little bit nicer circumstances than the average guy. But after 20 years in the workplace, that's where I'm at, and that's what I'm willing to live with. So when I go to job interviews and things, I got to want to leave, right? I got to want to leave. But I love talking to people about what their operations are. And one of the only ways to get people to open up like that is to just, you know, put stuff, put interview uh, uh, possibilities out there. Just click on your your LinkedIn, your links, and they call me and they email me and we talk and I go on my way. I don't think it's selfish or anything like that at all. I just, I'd have to hear something extraordinary because I feel... As I get older and older that I'm a member of a group, a tribe, and I get more and more loyal, and I love the way the system works. And You you, you see the cracks, right? But they're the cracks where your house is settling, and it's your home. Does that make sense? 
That's true in any relationship too, right? You see the good, the bad, and the people. You see where they crack. You see where they're settling. You see all the flaws and the imperfections as the paint starts to wear, right? It's still home. They're still the most important thing. It's your safety, your security. It's where your doors open, hopefully. Hopefully. So this second piece is called awareness. It goes together um, with the sidetrack. A lot of my pieces are like that. They discuss the cause and effect of decisions that we make and where they're going to take us. So I'm going to read this one and then wrap this first show up. I got to tell you, I appreciate anybody who's listening to me, especially this far. I think there's a lot of information in the world. (laughs) I also try to dig through and find worthwhile information so I'm not just sharing crap with you. Here's awareness, and this was written um, June the 25th, uh, two months after the sidetracked piece, and it's available on on my website too, mlcraver.com. How much tolerance is given in the workplace? What number does a parent count down from before taking action? Should authorities have endless patience before enforcement? See, standards are quite important. And there's a point where a student has failed and then they need to start all over again. I was posing facetious questions to ask myself about age-old grudges. The time-tested Hatfields and McCoys feud, it's symbolic of hatred with unknown origins. And it was a clash that was carried on by relatives and descendants. You see, history is filled with things decades or centuries old. Which ones are still fervent enough to have emotions about? A country based around capitalism is the foundation for inequality. The entire structure is to outwork those around you and to prosper. And if everyone worked varying amounts and led the same life, what would then be the motivation to try at all? Social programs propagate being able to rest easy during tough times. Well, they're not made for a long-term stay. And the debate about minimum wage for jobs with an introduction to the workforce, requiring minimum skills, those are just base pay jobs which are not designed to pay mortgage and later life tides. Though they serve as good second jobs for folks, the concept remains the same. Someone in their 20s graduates into management and then takes on more financial responsibility, possessing greater skills, they can increase their income. And spending responsibly is something that should never change. Going back to my inquiry about the sensitivities of various cultures, okay? Are the veterans still carrying hatred for Vietnamese people because of POW labor? How about Hebrews for what the Egyptian pharaohs did before Moses led those people astray? The other, and I say that because Egypt is in Africa, the other slave traders and work camps by Africans who sold people as exports to Caucasians, who are actually European people. See, you may not be aware that all of these are biblical connotations. Each group is of Hebrew descendants, even as they were shipped worldwide. How about the forced labor of Germans, also Hebrews, Jews? I may be unaware of a quiet revolution by Jewish folks, but they seem to have found prosperity and peace. Further north, is it still a thing where the Bolshevik families despise Vladimir Putin? Russians seem to be doing well, despite many setbacks. Though, like many Asian nations, the veil of truth depicted shows the citizens in upstanding ways, despite what we know about the way their government has agendas. 
Are Christians still discussing the fallacies of the Ottoman Empire? People were enslaved for work and sex for hundreds of years, and this even went on well beyond the American Civil War. These countries have slavery in the name, Serbia. Has it ever occurred to folks what Yugoslavia means? Seems to me we've even let go of the hatred from September 11th, which would have reignited the old flames of when the Turks attempted to, or did, enslave a great many of our ancestors. Living in the New World, I can't see anyone still pissed at the English for their forced labor, where we had served them. What about William Wallace's people having to sharecrop and live under lords and nobles? Do you even see the UFC matching up nations to settle the score? The Industrial Revolution brought work from a variety of places throughout the world. See, railroads are notorious for one form of labor. Northeastern cities for another. Southern states, yet another. Communities have their own version of holding people back. Companies have been able to do this through their general store. the work and pay, and they never get past the necessities that families have in order to save. They'll never be able to leave the job or the town. In Walmart, it does internal studies to show that employees spend a great deal of their income back in the stores they work. Now, how does this apply to prison, forced labor, and is it still happening today? Well, the idea of slavery and forced work is wrong, but you can be sentenced into it, just not sell them into it. They wouldn't want to be called slaves or servants, just inmates. You know, People get stopped, and they video the cops, and they tell them how to do their job, and they label them. Public servants. Well, the incompetency of these actions just staggers me. People are so strange about the content of their language. The lack of education present in our practices truly bogs down the discussion. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Because of the hundreds of thousands of words in the English language, there's a modem and a presentation and having yourself together, right? Emotions are no substitute for preparation. So you take the time to have well-thought-out points with corresponding words. How about having the military draft? Where does this weigh on the sanctity of life scale? Men are used for war, but they serve side-by-side with all ethnicities. And selections are forced to go or they're imprisoned for refusing. Now, other folks might be exempt from that system. Famous men like Cassius Clay refused to go. And there's also a man who would become President Clinton, and he refuses to go. Do they deserve the same criticism? Maybe a new term is on the horizon. Peripheral equality. So let's bring this back around to social programs. Is it only working against your will, lacking rights? Because even with rights, we pay for folks who don't have health care. The risk of having to pay your own car repairs when you're hit by an uninsured person. How about paying into food and nutrition programs for EBT and SNAP and food stamps? Folks extending the court system through flagrant abuses of civil pursuits. If you're part of housing aid and welfare instead of gainful employment. Well, tell me, folks. Who is working for who? Now, there's such a strange dynamic of what is considered poverty in a fixed system. See, people immigrating into America are able to own businesses and prosper. They struggle with the language and have rough beginnings. And this is true for all sorts of demographics. The value systems of those households have structure. Often there are religious and shameful sort of elements that motivate those people to not fail. And the lack of dedication and morals, well, it allows for a different sort of outcome. 
For instance, everyone pays the price of inflated retail because of theft. Society foots the bill to help educate one another. But the working world falls apart with the lack of responsibility, right? So abandoning work, embezzlement, dishonest customers, abusing merchants, and they all change the cost of living. It's a lack of punishment with the empathy for malicious people. It opens the door to deviance. And not caring about your home brings down the property values of the neighborhood. There's a lack of accountability for being an uninsured driver, for abusing social programs, generally failing to continue to learn. An increasingly complex world is drowning because the buoyancy of logic has been pulling us down for far too long. The fresh air of the surface. Breaking even will never happen until folks have some idea how much pressure they're putting everybody else under with their individual actions. At what point is there a chain of responsibility? We're fashionable to buy Air Jordan sneakers manufactured by folks paid slave wages. And they're disadvantaged and exploited to feed profit. Advocating for oppression with dollars, well that's alright. You can even wear the shoes proudly as if you've gone out and you've got style and you've got taste. You have a collector's item. Does that label come from the heart and soul someone's putting into those shoes? Have you collected their broken spirit? You know, before the company moves the factory to another location and they're avoiding union workers and having to pay wage increases. If you're not aware, companies scout out an area and they build operations. They can move the operations to a new place while being given new incentives in the next town. This happens right here in America. The corporation negotiates with your town. They bargain for incentives, like not paying sales tax for an extended amount of years. And then the jobs they create don't really generate money. It's a sales pitch by the company, and when successful, it will purge the economic flow from your town and dam it up, drowning everyone. Sends the profits back to their hometown, where the headquarters is, stockholders, shareholders. If they eventually leave, the dam has burst, and it leaves the people behind washed out. There's lots of water metaphors right here, right? We're back to the sneaker food chain, though. You keep playing musical chairs with those third world areas so no one has bargaining power. They're able to go on strike and no. They're able to demand anything? No. Fairness? Forget it. See, the cost of these outsourced jobs to serve our taste is beyond cost analysis. The loss of industry is almost immeasurable. People lose work and they have a community with lower standards of living right here at home. That's what's happening here. Unless you consider the earth one big community. you know, Companies will do this sort of business and, and they have a documented history of product quality issues. Items are made through inferior and unsafe means. Corporations have workers that aren't protected by the same safety standards of the United States. Don't worry about the health and community issues. They stay behind with the factory workers when they ship the items to your door. Although recalls happen more often now. Uh, lucky for the consumer, these cost-cutting measures mean that there's room to settle lawsuits and get your goods, and it will stay at a cheap price. You put out a rushed or generally defective item, which will eventually be found out. However, like with the pharmaceutical companies, the price point is built like a rebate. So if you never collectively discover what should be a recall or a lawsuit, like with the thermostat of a Chevy Cruze, no recourse is ever given to the public at large. In the case of that automotive issue, 
There's been a recall? <laughs> no. There's been a great deal of independent mechanics being paid by the customers who own faulty cars. The company should be responsible, but we're not on the same page. We could say not to eat meat because of what cattle farming does when companies put methane into the air, right? But we want those animals to be treated humanely. Recognize the species in that word. There's a herd of drivers out there, and they're more like sheep. So we fight about cattle and develop impossible burgers, vegan recipes. Not going to eat them cattle anymore. But where's the alternative slave wage aversion for your Nike shoes? Shouldn't you buy earth-friendly and local footwear? Sure, you're running to support a good cause. Those feet look stylish as you do this march of dimes. Maybe a 5K for Susan B. Komen. Meanwhile, in a shop without air conditioning, a man is working for a fraction of what your fellow countrymen would be making to support your nation's economy. Well, strange, isn't it, how people are always all right with climbing that ladder of hypocrisy. Maybe it's better to be at sea level, on the sand perhaps, the same height as the proverbial boy I mentioned earlier. There's a side of us that struggles to make ends meet and to work together in our own community. Another side of us is devoid of accountability for not knowing who else we're holding back in the world. The waters are full of sharks, and some represent greed, and others are predators without currency. Folks mostly want to know how to survive. We live in a world with changing weather dominated by mammalian minds. People have so much influence on the planet that we've changed the climate. You can imagine the way we've shaped other human beings around us. Possessions that we own are simply material things. Most of those are made by people who do not share our political systems of freedom. We're spending dollars that make a voyage away from our democracy, and they're being laundered at the border. This currency changes hands, but it remains our individual responsibility. Many of these places still practice the politics and social castes of the last millennia. Sending your money back in time hundreds of years, and now it's working against the systems we hoped we could outrun. Modern social structures could easily include courtesy, product knowledge, environmental responsibility. Those things can only follow being educated, taking the time to think before action and to treat other people well, acknowledging one another with a friendly word or gesture. This process includes knowing when you're ignoring parts of the problem. No matter how far away the damage is, you should be conscious. Conscious. Knowing how the world works can open loopholes for people to take advantage. But if we all have the insight, then we can take away those opportunities for abuse. People doing their homework can then have an intricate understanding of the good and bad in every choice. And this takes away from the anchor of selfishness. Together we hold each other accountable. Like a life preserver of truth, being informed is a social gospel. We may not all interpret things in the same direction or believe to the same depths, but we are, however, now on the same page. When people have sophisticated conversations, we can solve the most complex problems. The more each of us knows, the more folks decide the outcome. 
Integrity plays a vital role in what we want to accomplish. Parenting and guidance remain important throughout life, and you share with people who have less experience and information. Putting everything on the table, like the discovery phase of a court case. Companies audit one another for mergers, right? Everyone is seeking a thorough understanding of one another to avoid deception. And this is important as people step back and they have a hand out waiting for something. As individuals, we ought to try to enhance the people around us. We have individual responsibilities to be educated and have ambition. But you should have stronger ideals, and those are means to compassionately achieve more together. Standing on firm ideas, and they have dense air. The higher we climb in the social stratosphere, the higher above sea level, the harder we have to work to breathe. See, balance is the key to survival and comfort. Staying above water and having it nearby is good for all of our needs. It's a sea of truth with a wonderful place to live. A person can see through the crystal clear water against the shoreline because we've not polluted or disrupted the fragile sea. A place where conscience and clarity have protected the world around us. People keeping a natural balance and leaving the elements of disruption free. Some of the most beautiful places like Hawaii, well, they remain the most naturally volatile places on earth because that's where the lava is coming from. That's where the new land is coming from. That's what makes life happen. There's snows on the mountains of Asia, of Africa. But the snows of Kilimanjaro are cut short and they're often hard to find. They've been destroyed by our carbon footprint. The carbon footprint of the human yeti. The abominable snowman, the fictional guy. That's us. We're that, we're that demon. Judge and fear play important roles in being able to open the discussion with strangers around you. The same types of folks are going to share the same ventilated air of a restaurant with us. Fellow customers are anonymous. But a simple hello takes you from being an unrealized neighbor to an acquaintance. And there's nothing wrong with saying hello, right? There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Share with the people around you. Be yourself and give it to them straight. Act on opportunity and avoid being malicious. Stop holding grudges and embrace education. Having knowledgeable vision allows everyone to open doors, even for one another, not just for yourself. There will come a time for us to stop destroying the world around us. I mean, the inequality of capitalism in America are always going to remain. But that doesn't mean we can't be comfortable. There's no excuse for a lack of personal accountability. Vanity is the ultimate price as we try to outshine one another. Then I remembered the basic concept of why I began writing and why my web space is named Escaping Vanity. My belief is that with clarity, we all hold each other up and life can be sacred. Love is a tough road, especially for an entire society. Listen to the people around you. Sometimes they are the warning. In other moments, they will deliver the truth. And sometimes both of those things are happening. No one sets out to be judged or feel guilty. Shouldn't we presume wonderful things about the possibilities each of us have inside? Why would you ever intentionally hold people down? 
be straight with one another, and together we all share responsibility. When we have the facts together, we're only left with the innocence of honesty. I really enjoyed writing that piece. It's set against the backdrop of, of course, the video from Minneapolis. Some ugly things in the world where people are holding each other down. Not just physically, but economically and everything else. Just open doors for one another, folks. Say hello. Wave. Acknowledgement is the first step in anything. In, in thanking people and taking responsibility because you did wrong. Acknowledgement. It's a long word for a lot of people. It's a long journey for a lot of people. Acknowledgement. I appreciate that you've spent your time with me. I've gone in a lot of directions, but I hope that you see that just opening the door opens up so many possibilities. They're interconnected. And the first step is just say hello. Throw a finger up. Let somebody into traffic. Practice the age-old tradition of flashing your headlights when you're trying to let somebody in in front of you. Throw your hand up. Wave when they let you in. Thank them for letting you in. Don't take it for granted. Simple things. My mother has always said about me and my grandfather, we never met a stranger. (laughs) I'll have more on that sometime later. But um, today is a birthday for Brett the Hitman Hart, who was a young influence in my life. He was was my age when I first saw him. My age today when I first really saw him. And um, that's a man with integrity and and a... a guy who's been through a world of, of difference. And my daughter, numero uno, my only daughter, turns 12 tomorrow. And I'm very proud of that young lady. So happy birthday to the princess. Thank you guys for listening. I hope that I see more of you. And maybe this gets uh, some discussion started. I'd love to see it shared or if you want to, you know, I'm easy to interact with. I'm easy to find. My door is always open. Thank you so very much. 